0: locked on Seahawks the daily Seattle Seahawks podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked on Seahawks. Thanks for joining in on our Thursday episode. A lot of questions have been dished out on social media, so I decided to make this an extended mailbag episode. Looking forward to touching on a number of Seahawks and NFL topics from questions from you, the listener. As always, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen Five days a week. This episode is brought your way by Get Upside. Download the free Get Upside app and use the promo code Touchdown to get 25 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. The Seahawks had only two players selected for the Pro Bowl this year, and though Quandre Diggs and Bobby Wagner won't be able to participate in Sunday's All Star Game due to injuries. That doesn't mean the team won't be represented this week. Earlier in the week, Russell Wilson and Dwayne Brown were named as replacements for Tom Brady and Trent Williams, who both opted out of the game due to injuries. In Brady's case, announced his retirement earlier this week. Trent Williams barely was able to play in the NFC Championship game against the Los Angeles Rams. So not surprising that he has declined to participate in the event. So Wilson's going to be in his ninth Pro Bowl and Dwayne Brown is going to be playing in his fifth. You'll see two players starring for the Seahawks on the offensive side of the football for the NFC. And I'll admit, I might watch maybe a couple of plays of the game. I have been totally down on the Pro Bowl for the last 10, 15 years. There was a time where it used to be fun to watch. Now it just feels like it's a forced spectacle. You can tell the players don't really necessarily want to be there. The Pro Bowl skills competition, which is coming up tonight, That's something that is pretty exciting. You can tell it's a pretty laid back atmosphere. Players like to put on a show, but the Pro Bowl itself, it's about getting the check. It's about putting that on your resume. And otherwise, it's, it's just not a big deal. It doesn't matter in the scheme of things at all. And this is why you see a lot of players at the end of the season that decline to participate in the game. And obviously, if you're not healthy, it doesn't make any sense to play in the game. It's not really possible for me to care less about the actual Pro Bowl itself there is still an honor that goes with that obviously on your resume if you are a seven eight nine time pro bowl selection that still means something it's not the same as an all pro pick to say the least but it's still something that matters when you're looking at hall of fame resumes and you're looking at ring of honor players in the case of the seahawks being selected to a bunch of pro bowls is still a significant honor the actual game itself though Doesn't really matter, but I wanna look real quick at where both these players stand historically because this is a big deal for them. Like I said, getting Pro Bowls in your resume is still something that matters. And in the case of Russell Wilson, this will be his ninth Pro Bowl in 10 years. That makes him the first quarterback in NFL history to accomplish that feat. Peyton Manning did it eight times in 10 years. Russell Wilson, the first to do it, nine in his first 10 seasons. And with his ninth Pro Bowl, he's just the 12th quarterback ever to be elected to nine or more Pro Bowls. Obviously, in this case, he was not voted in. He was put on there as an alternate. So that's something that you could put an asterisk next to. With a season where he missed three games, not the most productive year that he's had in his career, still had 25 touchdowns and just six interceptions and finished in the top six in passer rating this year. So still had a solid season even though it was maybe not up to his usual standards and dealing with injury and whatnot. But still a very good season for him. Shouldn't be held against him that he's being selected to go to the Pro Bowl. Still a still had a very good year. And in some seasons, a 25-6 stat line might be good enough to get voted into the Pro Bowl anyway. There have been far worse statistical lines for quarterbacks that have gotten to play in this game as reserves being put in as alternates replacing players that were originally selected for the game so I don't have an issue with it I don't have an issue with Dwayne Brown either as crazy as his season was he looked anything like a pro bowler the first eight weeks of the year gave up seven sacks in those first eight games but I thought in the last nine games he was playing like a top five left tackle only gave up one sack during that span only a handful of pressures he was outstanding for the last two plus months and looked like his former self. So that bodes well for his future, whether it's in Seattle or with another team. And certainly he's going to relish the opportunity to be in what could be his last Pro Bowl. This is the fifth one he's been selected to. And while he's not as and, and as exclusive of company as what Russell Wilson is, he became just the 45th tackle in NFL history to have at least five Pro Bowls to his name. So that's still that's still pretty exclusive company when you think about. There's hundreds and thousands of tackles that have played in the NFL, and he's one of just 45 to have that distinction. He's been selected to the All-Pro team a couple of times. On top of that, probably not a Hall of Fame resume, but certainly has had a Hall of very good career playing for the Texans and the Seahawks. Russell Wilson, looking at the quarterbacks, he's up against the other 11 that have been to nine or more. Pro Bowls either already in the Hall of Fame or if you're looking at Tom Brady and Drew Brees, they will be first ballot selections when they are eligible at the five year limit. So everybody that's in that mix already is in the Hall or is going to be in Canton. It's guaranteed to be in Canton. Russell Wilson has quickly approached that same level where he'll become the first Seahawks quarterback at some point to be enshrined in Canton to have his bus there, get the gold jacket. And that'll be an exciting time. Nonetheless, some history being made by Russell Wilson, even if the game itself doesn't matter. And most of us probably won't watch very much of the game skills competition. I'll probably be watching, but even with that being said, this is still a significant honor to be, Picked for the Pro Bowl nine out of ten seasons to open his career. That shows you just how elite Russell Wilson has been. Many of those he was voted onto the team, not just by fans, but by players. And his peers have the utmost respect for him. You could see it with the way that they handled you know, communication with him in game and stuff. He is viewed as one of the top quarterbacks in the league. And players speak extremely highly of him for a reason. So congratulations to Russell Wilson and to Dwayne Brown, both those guys getting ready to participate in Sunday's Pro Bowl and hopefully to get to go out there and have a little bit of fun and, and get a nice little bonus game check for participating in the events in Las Vegas. As I mentioned at the beginning the show, have gotten tons of questions on social media. When you get to this time of year in the offseason, sometimes it's hard to fit all of your questions into one Segment. So, going to make this an extended mailbag segment answering your questions for the remainder of the show. Looking forward to breaking down a number of Seahawks and NFL topics. Make sure to check out the Get Upside app. My listeners are earning cash back for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Download the free Get Upside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use the promo code touchdown to get 25 cents per gallon on your first fill up automatic cash back. Don't pay full price of the pump anymore. Get cash back with get upside download the app for free and make sure to use the promo code touchdown for 25 cents per gallon on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot, such as myself are making as much as two to $300 a year in cash. There's no catch. The cash back gets added right to your account. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free site app and use the promo code TOUCHDOWN to get $0.25 cents per gallon on your first tank. You're listening to the Locked on Seahawks podcast, Thursday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first list in five days a week. We're quickly approaching Super Bowl week at SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California, and we're happy, courtesy of Get Upside, to have the Locked On NFL podcast crew in Los Angeles to cover the game, so make sure to subscribe to the Locked On NFL podcast wherever you listen to your podcast and be ready for some outstanding content throughout the week leading up to the Super Bowl. All right, it's Mailbag Thursday. As I mentioned a few moments ago, normally I'd answer a few questions in the middle segment and move on, but there have been so many good questions coming from you, the listeners, that I decided to make this an extended mailbag. So for the rest of the show, going to be tackling many different topics, Seahawks and NFL related. Without further ado, let's get to it. First question coming from Fort Green Beasy tweets, Why were the Seahawks so bad at running and stopping screen plays this season? So we'll start on the defensive side here. Going back and looking at the film, it seemed like the Seahawks got better late in the season defending the screens, particularly ones against running backs. And a lot of it just had to do with reaction. And Jordan Brooks replacing K.J. Wright at that weak side linebacker spot. He had some growing pains during the first half or even three quarters of the season. There were a number of times where he was late to react and wasn't able to get over there, or he ended up getting blocked outside. I thought the slot corners at times, Ugo Amati not to pick on him, but there were several times that he ended up getting blocked inside, allowing the screen back to be able to get out to the sideline and pick up big yardage. It just didn't seem like they were playing with good technique and they were making things easy. For the opposing team to be able to pick up big chunks of yardage and a lot of it had to do with that initial reaction and a lot of time they were delayed responding to the screen and reacting to it. And so I think that you saw some improvements there. We'll see how that carries over into next season. I would think that Jordan Brooks going to year three is going to be even better in that aspect. He made improvements in a lot of areas of his game. On his way to a team record with 184 tackles, showed a lot of improvement in a number of areas, defending screens being one of them. On offense, it's mystifying to me. Without being able to watch practices during the regular season beyond the first 10 minutes, I can't tell you what the Seahawks necessarily do to work on screen games, but whatever they're doing at practice on both sides of the ball just doesn't seem to be working. And this has been a problem throughout the Pete Carroll era. They've had multiple offensive coordinators, and it doesn't seem to matter Who's calling the plays? I don't know if the quarterback, being Russell Wilson, impacts their ability to run those screens or not. But this has consistently been an issue for them. I did see a few screens they were able to pick up some big yardage on this year. Unfortunately, there were way more of them. They got blown up behind the line of scrimmage that never amounted to anything. You see timing issues between the quarterback and receiver. So those are things that just have to continue to be sorted out. I would think year two under Shane Waldron, there'd be some improvement in that area, especially with him coming from the Rams system where the Rams under Sean McVay have been so efficient running screens over the years that didn't carry over to Seattle. We'll see what happens this season, but this has just been a persistent problem for them. They've done fairly well defending screens over the years, led by KJ Wright on defense. They've done okay. On offense, though, this really has been a problem for them for quite some time, and I can't necessarily put a finger on what the main reason for that is because when you have that long of a prolonged stretch where you just aren't good at something and you've had multiple offensive coordinators, it becomes a lot more difficult to really decipher what the real issue is. Jared tweets, after another big year, where does Tyler Lockett now rank, in your opinion, among the best receivers in Seahawks history? So, this is a really good question because you still have Steve Largent and then there's everyone else. Steve Largent is easily the best receiver in Seahawks history. The Hall of Fame receiver, one of the best receivers of all time. After Steve Largent, though, I think you can have a really interesting debate because a couple of years ago, and we might reopen this discussion this year, we've had a few seasons where players have put up big numbers, alters potentially our top 100 list, but Tyler Lockett was my number three receiver at that point. I actually had him leapfrog uh, leapfrog Doug Baldwin. And Doug Baldwin has only been out of the league for a few years. But Lockett now has more 1,000-yard seasons than what Doug Baldwin did. Baldwin had more Pro Bowls as a receiver. He had two of them. Lockett had one Pro Bowl and an All-Pro selection that were for his special teams accolades. Somehow he has not been picked to a Pro Bowl as a receiver despite his production. But I think if you look at the overall numbers, you look at the impact that Tyler Lockett has had on this offense, I at this point have to have Tyler Lockett just edging out Doug Baldwin. I think this next season he is going to pass Doug Baldwin in the all-time Seahawks receiving yards list. He has a chance to pass him in touchdowns this year as well. So I think at this point, as great as Doug Baldwin is, I would put Tyler Lockett ahead of him, what makes this discussion a lot more interesting is Brian Blades, for some of our young listeners, probably never saw Brian Blades play, but 4,000-yard seasons with the Seahawks, and that was with really bad quarterback play. I would love to see what Brian Blades would have done if he had Russell Wilson throwing to him. I think this is a receiver that has consistently 1,000-yard seasons with double-digit touchdowns. He was that kind of a talent, but I mean, he was catching passes during the Rick Meyer and Dan McGuire era. No great quarterbacks at his disposal. I mean, Dave Craig at the very tail end of his time in Seattle was throwing passes to Brian Blades. But otherwise, he played with pretty poor quarterbacks most of his career, and yet he put up some really gaudy numbers considering the circumstances. So I would still have Brian Blades as my number two receiver, but I think that Tyler Lockett has made up ground in that race. If he has another 1,000-yard season – approaches double digit touchdowns we have this discussion next year i might very well move ty lockett up there but i think you have to consider the quarterbacks that played with brian blades in order to make a fair assessment here he'd still be my number two guy cash with a k tweets what combination of players between chandler jones calais campbell von miller daniel hunter zadarius smith Randy, randy gregory or others would we be able to afford given our cap situation assuming bobby gets cut or restructured and Quandre in at least one corner, gets re- in one corner gets re-signed. So if you're making the assumption that Quandre digs in at least one of the corners, whether that's DJ Reed or Sidney Jones, is re-signed, that's going to use up a decent chunk of their cap space. Looking at the players that you mentioned, at his age, I think Calais Campbell, you could probably sign him, not cheap necessarily, but he wouldn't be as expensive as he was a few years ago when he signed a big deal with the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Baltimore Ravens obviously traded for him at this stage of his career. He's not going to be commanding that kind of money. You could maybe mix and match him with a player like Randy Gregory, who with his off field issues has never had a season where he's produced more than seven sacks. So I don't know that he's going to get a ton of money on the free agent market. He's still just 29 years old though, has upside, clearly a talented player that just hasn't been able to get on the field and stay on the field consistently. But I could see a package deal talking about players like Chandler Jones and Von Miller, even at their age. They are going to be expensive because they are premium pass rushers. They still are very good rushers off the edge, even at their age. So I would suspect you're not going to be able to sign two guys of that caliber if somehow Zadarius Smith and Daniil Hunter hit the market. Hunter's had some injuries So maybe his cost is going to be a little cheaper than what it would have been a couple of years ago. But I still think that he would fetch good money on the market because he's still an under 30 player that has a lot of talent. He was still playing well last year before he got hurt. So I don't know that you could sign two players from that group, unless you're talking a mix of Clayus Campbell and Randy Gregory. If you really want to go top of the budget, maybe you could do Clayus Campbell with Daniil Hunter if his – Price goes down a little bit because of his injury issues that he had. But that's going to be a lot of money to invest. So I would think that they're going to be forced to go with one player out of that group unless they're going to go the cheaper route of somebody like Randy Gregory, take that chance, and then add a defensive tackle that can rush the passer a little bit, like Cleo's Campbell. I can't see them getting two of these edge rushers, though. Even if they cut Bobby Wagner and open up $16 million, I think they would be making that move to do some other stuff as well. I don't think they're going to throw... $25, 30000000 million at their defensive line and pass rush. I just don't see it happening. Steve Olsen tweets, anybody in free agency who can return kicks and tilt the field? So this is a really interesting question because I do think that this is an area that without Tyler Lockett being the kick returner, DJ Dallas has done some nice things. He just doesn't have that top speed. He doesn't have the burst to really hit a home run. He has had several returns where he has hit a crease. And it looked like he had a chance to be gone, and he just doesn't have that next gear. And so you'd like to see them find somebody that does have that gear. And I think there are a couple guys in the market that could be intriguing that would be secondary receivers and could also contribute on special teams. Ray Ray McLeod, who the Seahawks know well, they played against him. He was with the Steelers this past season. He was among the league leaders in punt return yardage and kick return yardage this year. He's a younger player still. Would make some sense. A guy that had 277 receiving yards this past season. You can play him out of the backfield. So he might be a guy that makes some sense. But really the one that intrigues me the most, DeAndre Carter, who played for the Washington football team, he returned a kickoff for a touchdown last year. He returned 16 punts. Wasn't used as much in that capacity as Ray-Ray McLeod was. For the Steelers but he finished second in the league in kick return yardage for Washington and he also had three touchdowns as a receiver last year so you might get the added bonus of having another guy that can rotate in and give you some snaps on offense so those might be two names to keep an eye on I don't know if the Seahawks are going to be emphasizing that at all in free agency but if they're wanting to be a bit more dynamic in the return game both those players I would expect are going to hit the market and be available in free agency Heath tweets do you believe the pick last year of D. Eskridge over the top center Creed Humphrey was to appease Russell Wilson? This is an interesting question because obviously everybody remembers what Russell Wilson said last off season about being concerned about how much he was getting hit and some of the other things that he addressed, not being involved enough in personnel decisions. So you got to wonder how much Russell Wilson weighed into that, but I would think that he would have been pretty excited to get a blue chip center in the second round and Creed Humphrey. And obviously D Eskridge is a player I'm sure he was excited about too, because you can never have too many dynamic threats on the outside to throw the football to. But no, I don't see picking Eskridge being a move to appease Russell Wilson. When they trade for Gabe Jackson, that is the type of move that I would look at say, yeah, they're trying to keep number three happy. I don't know that picking D. Eskridge was necessarily that kind of move, because picking a center, I think, would have made him equally excited, if not more excited. So, no, I I don't view that as a move that was swayed by what Russell Wilson wants. I think that that was the team looking at their receiving core and feeling like we need to add a dynamite third receiver. And it didn't work out this season, but it's still too early to call him a bust. He had some injuries, the concussion, obviously – Has a lot of talent, showed well in training camp, had some brief glimpses in the regular season where he made some plays. So we'll see if that pick ends up panning out for the Seahawks or not. But I don't think it had anything to do with appeasing Russell Wilson. I'm going to continue our mailbag here in a moment, have several more questions on the Seahawks and the NFL coming from you, our valued listeners. Bet online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football continues its march towards the playoffs right to the big game in a couple weeks online remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just football. Bet online has up-to-the-minute info on pro and college hoops, NHL, boxing, UFC, along with live real-time updates of current games. So don't wait to take advantage of all the new amazing offers available for the 2022 season. BetOnline, where the game starts. This episode of Locked on Seahawks is brought your way by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. So why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. So save time and money using Rock Auto. Rock Auto was a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years, and Rock Auto prices are reliably low for every customer. They have everything you need, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. I was able to get a new steering wheel cover for my Dodge Charger. Go to explore their easy use website today. To find the solution to your auto parts needs, go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, Locked On in there. How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you amazing selection, reliable, low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks Podcast, Thursday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks. Your first listen, five days a week. Continuing our extended Thursday mailbag, our next question here is coming from BK, and he tweets, who is your sleeper pick you think the Seahawks should really target at pick number 41 that maybe isn't getting much hype? So I'm going to be frank here. We are in early February. I did not have as much time this year to watch college football as I have in the past due to my full-time commitment covering an NFL team I am in the po- uh, in the process right now of getting caught up, though I've watched a bunch of games over the past few days, especially some senior bowl prospects that I was intrigued by. So I have a couple names here I'll throw out. And obviously, if I revisit this in a few weeks, there might be a few other guys that have popped off the list to me, thinking that might be a sleeper at pick 41. But Rob Rang and I actually talked about this player earlier this week when we were covering the senior bowl. But Darian Kennard out of Kentucky, big, nasty, tackle, I think probably projects to be a right tackle in the league, but he has played left tackle in the SEC, so he's played top competition, maybe not the most athletic tackle in this class, but again, he plays with some nastiness, and that's something the Seahawks offensive line could always use more of. He's an intimidating run blocker. I just think his skill set fits what the Seahawks have typically wanted at that right tackle position. If you don't believe that Jake Curhan is the guy, and I can see the Seahawks making this pick even with how well Curhan played at the end of his rookie season in place of Brandon Shell, They could always look to go after a better player at that position, and Curhan could be a swing tackle for him along with Stone Forsythe. Who knows what the game plan is? But Kennard is a player that I think would make a lot of sense for the Seahawks at pick 41, SEC pedigree. This is a guy there have been some murmurs that maybe he can sneak into the first round, but I think he's a day two selection, second or third round probably. He would be right in the wheelhouse for the Seahawks to pick if they're wanting to add a tackle to the mix, and he might be a left tackle at the next level. I just think he projects probably better at the right tackle position. And if we want to talk deep sleepers, UAB has had a few pass rushers that have been picked recently, but I have been enamored by Alex Wright, six foot seven, two hundred and seventy pounds. You look at his college production; he only had six sacks last year. This is a decent number, but. What really makes him stand out, according to Pro Football Focus, he had 51 pressures last year. And I watched a few UAB games over the past two days, and he just pops off the tape. You got to look at the competition. Obviously, he's playing in the Sun Belt. Not a great conference necessarily, but there have been some really good players come out of that conference that have done well in the NFL. So you can't think that he doesn't have a chance to be an impact player. There have been some good players come out of UAB going into the NFL as well. I look at the size. I look at the fact that this guy was a pressure machine. He can win with power. He's a solid athlete at his size. Feels like this is still a kid that has a lot of room to grow as well into that frame and become a more polished rusher. He is a player that a pick 41 that might make some sense. I could see him vaulting up the board as the pre-draft process goes. Right now I'm seeing a lot of fourth and fifth round grades, but this could be a player that sneaks into day two and that might scare some Seahawk fans when you consider that. But this is a kid that I think really has true day-two talent and a lot of upside, a big-bodied end that could play either side. So I'm very intrigued by Alex Wright. Draquez tweets, what are you realistically expecting from this class-action lawsuit from Brian Flores? I think at this point it's anyone's guess how this is going to play out. I mean, I, I think that, you know, based on what I've been told, Uh, The complaints that were filed in this lawsuit, many of them are viewed to be legitimate, even though the owners for these respective teams are coming out and immediately denying what else would you expect from them. I do think the NFL has a real problem. And Rob and I talked about this earlier this week on the show. It is clearly evident when you look at the hiring practices, the way that black coaches in the NFL are treated. It just feels like they have a much shorter rope for success. Mike Tomlin right now is the only black coach in the NFL. He's been the Steelers for 15 years, and they've been in the playoffs pretty much every year he's been there. Those are the type of standards that have to be lived up to. And then you see a coach like Brian Flores, who has back-to-back winning seasons in Miami with a roster that quite frankly is mediocre compared to a lot of the teams in the league. And he's really been able to have that group overachieve, and yet it wasn't enough. There were – communication issues with the owner. And it looks like there's a lot of other issues with the owner as well. What I think is really going to come out of this, you're hoping that you see some significant worthwhile changes in the hiring practices for the NFL. But honestly, what I think the biggest domino that's going to fall from this entire ordeal is going to be if indeed Stephen Ross, the Dolphins owner was offering a hundred thousand dollars for Uh, Brian Flores to lose games on purpose in Miami if that is proven and the NFL has no way of denying that that is going to be a game changer he's going to be forced into selling that franchise the NFL's got so much emphasis now on gambling you can't have owners or players or coaches making those kind of bribes you just can't So I think in the end, that's going to be what the bigger deal coming out of this lawsuit is. I know that's not what Brian Flores is looking for here. I hope that we see some significant changes, much-needed changes to hiring practices to make this a far more level playing field and give everyone equal chances. But we'll see if anything comes on that front. Right now, the NFL is in its typical denial mode, and and so you got to hope that we see some real progress here, but I think this is going to be something that's going to be playing out for several months before we really have an idea whether or not this is going to end up being a true game changer for the NFL and change the way that they do business in regard to hiring coaches of color. Next question. Brady Hill tweets. If the Seahawks were to move on from Bobby Wagner and Dwayne Brown this off season and allow Jordan Brooks to move into the middle linebacker spot, which players would you want the Seahawks to replace them with and why I don't know that you'd see the Seahawks make any big splashes to replace Bobby Wagner in the short term. I think that they have some confidence that Cody Barton could play starting weak side linebacker if need be. There are some other options that might be out there that they could try to sign in free agency, but you're not going to be getting a player. Ultimately, I think if Bobby Wagner gets cut, there's still a chance he could come back on a cheaper deal. We'll just have to see what they ultimately choose to do there. I think in a perfect scenario, they want number 54 back just not at his current price point. So I would think a restructured deal is probably much more likely there. They're not going to want to cut Bobby Wagner, a future Hall of Fame linebacker. They just don't want to pay that $20-plus cap charge. So we'll see. If he ends up being with another team and they release him, I think that they'll probably move forward with Barton. Maybe they draft a linebacker. This is a decent linebacker class. They might go that route and have that player compete against Cody Barton going into his fourth season. As for the tackle position, I feel a bit differently about that one because you've got Teron Armstead from the Saints that is likely to hit free agency with their cap situation. I don't know that they can afford to bring him back. Significantly younger than Dwayne Brown, a guy that's been a Pro Bowl tackle, a very solid left tackle in this league. And then you've got Orlando Brown Jr. with the Chiefs. I think Kansas City is going to try to re-sign him. They're going to do everything they can. They might even franchise tag him. But the Chiefs have a kind of difficult salary cap situation, too. So those are two names to keep an eye on. And, of course, you have Stone Forsythe. He drafted last year. Maybe the Seahawks have faith that he could be the starter down the line. There are a number of different directions they could go. As I mentioned, Kennard earlier, there are some pretty good tackles in this draft class. Maybe Seattle in the second round uses that 41st selection to try to bring in their future left tackle. There are a number of different variables at play here. It feels like there's a much better chance, though, if they move on from Dwayne Brown, that they would make a significant move than if they tried to fill in for Bobby Wagner. They feel like they've got a decent short-term, at least short-term, replacement in Cody Barton. So we'll see. number of dominoes that have to play out here this offseason. Mark tweets, what's your baseline to even consider trading Russell Wilson? I know you've been against the idea, but everyone has a price. So that may be true. I don't think that this is the year if there's ever going to be a year to trade Russell Wilson, just because I do have a few quarterbacks in this class that I think have some upside Malik Willis from Liberty, I think is probably the highest upside quarterback in this draft class, but it's a player that has true boomer bust potential. I think you can say that about most of the quarterbacks in this draft class. It's not last year's quarterback class, not near as good, not near as top heavy. So I don't think that this is the year that you would want to amass a bunch of first round picks and go draft a rookie quarterback that's going to probably have to play right away. So you would have to get a proven commodity back at the quarterback position. It would have to be a team like the Raiders that could give you Derek Carr, who I think is a solid top 10, top 15 quarterback. I think that he's underrated by a lot of people. He's not elite, but he's a guy that you can certainly win games with when you put the right weapons around him. There might be a few other teams out there that have – Decent starting quarterbacks. I would not include Sam Darnold from the Panthers or somebody like that that has not proven to be a consistent starter in the league. But there are teams that might have veteran options that would make sense for the Seahawks. It just doesn't seem like the trade is there. The Eagles might be a team that you could talk to because they have three first-round picks this year. Jalen Hurts has shown some upside. Gardner Minshew has played well when he's had chances to start. Obviously, a Washington guy. Fans around here would love seeing Gardner Minshew be the quarterback of the Seahawks if that was a fallback option in the short term. But there isn't that true franchise quarterback that you're going to be able to trade for. I would think the baseline would have to be minimum what the Rams were able to trade the Lions for Matthew Stafford. You're going to have to put an established quarterback in there with multiple first-round picks and a late-round pick, minimum. And I would think for the Seahawks case with it being a little younger quarterback, you probably could fetch even more than that. So that would be my baseline. I certainly would not be entertaining any offers that were just offering me two first-round picks. There'd have to be more to it than that. Put some cherries on top. Even three first-round picks might be the baseline for me because I'm just not moving Russell Wilson. Still think he's got a lot of good football left in him. I think he wants to be in Seattle, but you need to put pieces around him so this team is competing for championships. Last question here from Gage Anthony tweets. Do you think Seattle will actually spend on big time free agents this year? If so, what position is realistic at this point? So, I get this question every year and the last couple of years I've been adamant that yes, this is the year that the Seahawks are going to spend some big bucks, they're going to bring in a true difference maker in free agency and then it never happens. So, I'm not going to make that promise to the fans that are listening to the show today because history suggests they are not going to do that and that they are going to spend their free agent money more on quantity rather than getting stars. But they're coming off a seven and 10 season. They were last place in NFC West. They got the 10th overall pick and then they had to trade it to the New York Jets. It was part of the deal for Jamal Adams. I think circumstances are going to force John Schneider in the front office to handle their business in free agency differently this year, especially with Russell Wilson having two years left in his contract. If you are, Hell bent on him staying and wanting to be in Seattle, you need to have a championship roster around him. And I don't think you can do that by signing mid-level and lower-tier veteran free agents and signing eight or nine of them. I think you need to go out and you need to get a true difference maker. So if there's if there's going to be a year it's going to happen, this would be the year I would expect we would see a change in philosophy and maybe they do go out and make a splashy signing. If they do that, there are two positions that come in mind. And I've pretty much already mentioned them here, but – Pass rusher and offensive tackle. Those would be the two positions. I could see them going after somebody like Teron Armstead in free agency to get a younger option that's been a pro bowler at left tackle. Had some injuries last year, but he's a very good player. Has played in front of Drew Brees for a number of years. Is viewed as one of the better tackles in the game. I could see them spending big bucks to bring him in. And then you got guys like Chandler Jones, who they are very familiar with from his years in Arizona and all the times he stacked Russell Wilson. You take him away from a division rival, and he is still an outstanding pass rusher, one of the top five or six in the league. You put him on that D line with Carlos Dunlap and Daryl Taylor. And I guarantee that this is a pass rush that suddenly becomes one of the most feared in the NFC. They have some pieces in place. They need an elite pass rusher, though. And Chandler Jones would provide that. I don't know that Von Miller would still be that player, but he's still been very productive for the Rams would be another guy that could mentor Daryl Taylor and be a nice little one-two punch with Carlos Dunlap from the veteran standpoint. And if somehow somebody like Daniil Hunter hits the market, a younger player that's had some injuries, but he's been so darn productive when he's been healthy. Those are all names that would jump out immediately in terms of pass rusher. Those are the two positions that are very key positions in today's NFL And it feels like the Seahawks need to make a big move at at least one of those spots. I don't see the center market favoring, uh, shaping up favorably for them to be able to spend big bucks at a position like that. But they might be able to go out and get an upgrade at that position as well. But I think tackle and pass rusher, if they are going to make a splashy move, and throw some big bucks in a multi-year deal. It is going to be one of those two positions that are so critical on both sides of the football. As always, greatly appreciate the opportunity to answer your Seahawks and NFL questions. We'll have another mailbag segment coming up next week. Looking forward to answering your questions then, as always. Thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now make your second listen, Locked on Bets, your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Locked on Bets is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. You can follow me on Twitter at CorbinSmithNFL. You can check out Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and, of course, streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up on our Blue Friday episode, I'll be joined by Nick Lee. The two of us will continue Our free agency Friday segments will be looking at some players from another division that the Seahawks might want to pursue in free agency, and we'll be taking a look at Seattle's third down woes, what went wrong this season, and what needs to be corrected to fix that problem in 2022. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. Go Hawks.